I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is not here right now, but will be returning shortly. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, Matt, quick check-in. Uh, we did something that's kind of unusual for us after all these years. We, we took a holiday break, and... Uh, you know, I I think a lot of our fellow conspiracy realists know this, but you and, and Noel and Paul and I see each other on a pretty consistent basis. Like during the uh, pandemic, we were probably the only non-family members we talked to most of the time, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, uh, on a consistent basis for sure. Yeah. Did you have adventures? That's what I'm getting at, because I'm, I'm used to like us giving each other weird, sometimes relevant, sometimes just funny updates. Like every 24 hours. Um, I don't have anything big. I got a Christmas tree in my house already. It's not real. It's cheap and it works. Mm-hmm. You know, you might like this. I, I can't remember if I ever told you, but um, for several periods throughout my life, I've put up a Christmas tree and then just left it up all year because it looks nice, you know, not even a religious bent, but I, I think it, I think it brightens up a room. Yeah, uh, especially for everybody looking at your house at night. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I want I want people to say those folks are too wholesome for a break in. Let's yeah. go. Let's go somewhere else, somewhere that looks less Christmassy. Let us know if that theory works for you, folks. Uh, not going anywhere with that. Just checking in. Uh, today's episode is trying. We're trying to start off in a good spot, and I thought, what better place? 
for two uh two space camp alum to start with uh than saying folks space is amazing it's just it's the best it's the best thing yeah it's um real cold up there not a lot of heat uh it's um pretty empty like on the whole right but the stuff that is inside the space is killer it's worth your time uh and you know we're in there too which is kind of cool that's true that's true uh life is one big escape room you can look at it that way right and everybody should be on the same team for the human mission to expand right that's one thing that all uh, human civilization has wanted to do. We talked about this fascination in a previous episode on Mysteries of the Moon, or I think we went with the title, Is the Moon Messing With Me? Or something like that. The answer is probably yes, but maybe not in the ways you think. Uh, but as a result of everybody or every large government uh, wanting to go to space, wanting to explore the furthest reaches of the map, we can say that Despite the big emptiness, as you accurately uh, pointed out, Matt, despite that, local space around planet Earth is crowded. It looks like a hoarder planet if you saw it from far away. Uh, as you listen to today's show, folks, I think it was in September of 2021, one of the best estimates we could find, there are at least 4,550 human-made satellites orbiting the planet. That doesn't count the Black Knight satellite, which is mm -hmm. a whole other bag of badgers. Doesn't yeah. count the moon. And those are those are just the confirmed ones, right? Those are the ones <laughs> right. that we can go, you know, there was an official launch and they said they had that satellite on it and it, you know, supposedly went up. What happens when there are unconfirmed satellites? I wonder what, uh, what that number travels to. I was thinking about this, Ben, if you just imagine, if you close your eyes, unless you're driving, don't do that. If you close your eyes and you imagine the point of view from one of these satellites that's orbiting the Earth, and you just look down, if you may have seen spy satellite imagery before, or maybe on some Discovery Channel thing, you saw a view from space at that, at that height, right? And if you imagine that singular point of view, and then you multiply that by 4,500 times... It's just weird to think about the number of potential POVs there are from above. Uh, not not that all of those satellites have even, you know, uh, technology that would allow them to see, right? Any kind of, like, visual technology. Uh, but still, it's creepy to think about. It is. And this goes to one of those questions that are, you know, we're we're a no-dumb-questions show. Uh, and there there's one question that I think, a lot of people have been afraid to ask, which is with all these thousands of things in orbit around the same planet, how come they're not all crashing into each other yeah. continually, right? <laughs> it seems seems like a, a bizarre string of coincidences. Uh, the, the answer is kind of reassuring or terrifying. Space is just really, really big. At that scale, satellites are infinitesimal in size they don't have the power uh to they don't have a lot of them don't have the power to alter their orbit that's a big thing they may have uh the ability to alter their orientation but they can't all of a sudden pick a different ring uh upon which they circle the earth that's where you'd get into trouble 
That's where <laughs> it gets interesting. Yes. Uh, and there are dead, you could call them dead, man-made objects in space, like um, old rocket bodies in low Earth orbit. Uh, but the, the thing is, a lot of these have predictable orbits. So when you're launching a satellite, you can do the math and say, okay, here's how our satellite doesn't hit anything. Or you could say, here's how our satellite can hit stuff. Or you could do what both the U.S. and China have done and say, let's just shoot one from the ground. Hold my beer. Yeah. I want to show those folks across the pond something cool. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Every time you send something up there, you are threading a needle. Um, and sometimes you want that needle to make impact. That's weird to think about. And, and it, you know, it's, it's so costly. We're probably going to get into this, but it's so costly to shoot something that's nice and heavy, you know, off of the surface of the earth and into orbit. Um, it would be, it would make a lot of sense to have something that's just flying around up there or falling around up there, I guess is the right way to say it, that could maneuver and take something out from above or from the side. Right, right. From any given angle, right? Uh, or inclination even. Yeah, the thing is, all right, if you are not a fan of astronomy, if you don't work in a related field, then you're probably not thinking of all these satellites too often. If you're like most people, in fact, statistically, you live in some part of the world where the light pollution is such that you can't really see a a bunch of things, right? You see the moon, you can see some uh, particularly bright stars, you might see planes and stuff, but you're not getting a full panoramic view of the Milky Way. There's just too much other interference between your eyes and the stuff in space. But there are a lot of mysteries up there and closer than you might think. Today's episode is uh, about something that you and I have kept our eyes on for quite some time, not too long ago. Very recently, in fact, a very, uh, an incredibly special, extraordinary spacecraft successfully landed its sixth mission. It returned from 908 days in space, more than two years, uh, with no pilot, no crew on the ship. It's an unmanned craft called the X-37B. And as we speak... We'll learn about the history of this thing. As we speak, no one in the public sphere knows what it was doing up there. Very event horizon, as our pal Noel pointed out. To understand more about it, I think we have to dive a little bit into the history. So here are the facts. It's an old idea. Oh, yeah. The OTV, OTV Orbital Test Vehicle mm -hmm. 37B. Yes. It dates all the way back to 1999. Yeah, somebody saw the Matrix and they thought, oh, we need this. Um, that's when uh, NASA went to a company that we talk about a lot on this show. They are, I mean, they're an awesome company when it comes to creating new powerful technology. A little company called Boeing. And NASA was like, hey, guys, check it out. We want to build something. We think you're the ones to do it. We want something called an ALTV. This is, this is also known as an approach and landing test vehicle. What does that mean? Oh, it can approach the earth after doing its thing and it can land. It doesn't have to crash into the ocean or, you know, via parachute or whatever. This thing's got wheels. 
and probably wings. Uh, and second, but most importantly for this episode today, they wanted to make a vehicle that was based on the concept of the space shuttle. You 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 remember that one, the, the old STS space shuttle missions from back in the day. Uh, they wanted to build it just like that, but this one, they want to make it smaller and they want to make it unmanned. No humans necessary on board. Yeah, right. That's the trickiest part of successful space exploration. Humans were not built for that. <laughs> humans are not built for that environment in literally any shape, form, or fashion. So they're, it's kind of like the um, the old solution to the Gordian knot, right? Let's let's solve the problem by eliminating the the problem to begin with, right? So oh, I thought you were going to say just make the make the rope smaller so uh, it's easier <laughs> to not I, knot up. <laughs> I like that. No, no, that's a good solution. We should have been there. We should have been in that meeting, uh, the Gordian knot <laughs> meeting. All right. Well, so uh, what they said is we'll take out the trickiest element, the human element on board, and we also originally they wanted this thing to be small enough to fit inside an orthodox space shuttle's cargo bay. So kind of like the Decepticons. What was that? The one guy turns into a boombox and he's got a sidekick that turns into a cassette tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And goes to his chest. I can't remember their name, but it's like that. It's like a little baby shuttle. And Paul just let us know what it's called. Yes. Mission Control came through with the facts. It was Soundwave. Yeah. And Soundwave was a Decepticon, I believe. Paul has confirmed. <laughs> Paul, Paul is uh, your savior of the show here today, man. Thanks, Paul. But yeah, yeah, it is really cute. It was like a little a little baby shuttle. Yeah, exactly. Now, as as we know, that didn't end up being the case, right? Uh, but we're talking about the development process. So NASA knew they wanted this thing, this OTV, to have a high degree of maneuverability. And they wanted it to be reusable. One of the big differences between uh, what we think of when we think of space shuttles and what we think of when we think of satellites is that space shuttles can steer, right? They can go places. Uh, a, again, many satellites are just going to be in that predictable pattern that was set for them. And they can futz or alter a little bit, but you know where they're going to be. Yeah, I just want to give a a concrete example of that exact thing. And it comes from STS-135, which occurred in 2011. It was the last official shuttle mission that NASA, I guess, partook in. It was um, a four-person crew. So four human beings that had to, you know, they needed all the things to make humans, right? And they sent that thing up. It went into orbit, stayed there for a minute, then went in, uh, arrived at the International Space Station, and then left back to orbit, then came back to Earth. So it's just that maneuverability you're talking about. It, it doesn't just get launched directly to the place it has to go to. Yeah, and there, there's so much impressive math that goes on behind the scenes. Those folks are true rock stars of any of those endeavors. And early on, NASA, when they're talking with Boeing about this, talking with Phantom Works specifically, uh, they wanted this craft, which they would call the X-37, to rendezvous with satellites, to repair satellites in space. If you can make that happen reliably, 
without risking human lives, then you're looking at a, a profound breakthrough, oh right? This could extend the lives of satellites to a, theoretically an infinite, uh, an infinite horizon. Oh yeah. Like if you could just hot swap components as, you know, upgrades are available, that's incredible. I mean, you can just think of the platforms you could create for satellites then that like has a CPU that could be, you know, exchanged as, as they get stronger or something like that. That's, ooh, yeah, that makes sense. New, better sensors mm -hmm. whenever the next gen comes out, refueling, uh, all, all kinds of really cool stuff. You could turn every satellite into a ship of thesis, right? But that's not really creepy. That's just a good idea that's well, kind of difficult to pull off. It is difficult to pull off. It becomes a little creepy when you think about all the stuff that is up there. And if you're NASA, you're only a part of, you know, a certain percentage of the things floating around. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to also start thinking of weird things like jurisdiction. Yeah. Are there salvage rights? You know what I mean? Like it, it gets weird. Mm -hmm. It does get very weird very quickly, but it also avoids the enormous expense you mentioned of actually getting stuff up off the ground, out of the gravity well. And, you know, it, it would be great for everybody's budget, honestly. Yeah. I didn't realize how much a space shuttle mission costs on average. Did you see mm. that? I I saw a couple sources. I want to hear. I want to hear. Well, I, what's I, what's the current scoop? The official the official sources at NASA and the companies that actually launched the shuttles, the average cost for a mission was around four hundred and fifty million dollars. So every time one is launched up there, and the U.S. officially, again officially, launched one hundred and thirty five of those missions. So oh wow, that's a lot of money. It's a ton of money, you know, you're doing the crossword and pen at that point. Don't make mistakes. We're going to pause here for a quick word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with more about the X-37B. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we've returned. So we know they came in with these pretty ambitious ideas. And as anyone working on a group project can attest, every concept goes through some degree of change from conception and brainstorming to actually making the thing. doesn't matter if you're talking about art or literature or music or making a bridge. You know what I mean? The guy who invented the little table that goes in the center of pizza boxes, right? It's a really cool invention. They, they probably went through several other iterations of the table. So I'm only making that point to note that the changes that were made shouldn't be looked at as failures. They should be looked at as evolution, right? So the changes with the X-37B, that's the most famous of these craft, uh, they took a weird turn, though, because, let's see, you said 1999, NASA goes to Boeing and Phantom Works. But by September of 2004, the X-37 project is transferred away from NASA to DARPA, which will be familiar to any longtime conspiracy realist, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, Uncle Sam's Mad Science Department. So it goes to DARPA, and then boom, it gets classified. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it stays classified when the Air Force gets their hands in the in the uh, cosmic cookie jar, and they run things for a while. And then, as you remember, if you are based in the U.S., uh, we recently came out with something called Space Force. Feel free to laugh, but that's the real name. And Space Force is not a 1990s Saturday cartoon. It is a real branch of the military. And as of 2020, it's been at the helm of the X-37 project. We know a little bit more about the uh, timeline, like how we got from that initial meeting to the actual very creepy X-37. Oh, yes. It is a Steve Carell vehicle available on Netflix, though, uh, Space Force. <laughs> <It is>. uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we know that DARPA, once they got a hold of it, they were able to complete most of it, let's say, building the actual vehicle itself. The what did we call it? An ALTV. And that was in 2006. That's when they completed that part. And they were able to actually send that thing up, you know, high into the sky. Um, they call it captive carry and like, that's when you take it up and then you let it come back down, see if those wings and wheels work. 
and they also ran some free flight tests. Like, can this thing actually be flown? Um, and those seemed to work out back in 2006. Mm-hmm. And NASA's uh, second goal, their orbital vehicle concept, was never actually built the way they wanted it originally. But it did serve as the in- inspiration, the thematic predecessor for the space plane that today is called the X-37B. Right now, there are two operational X-37Bs in the world. There might be more uh, in some stage of manufacture. There might be more hidden away somewhere. We really don't know. We know about the two that operated or are operating because you can see them in the sky. Uh, DARPA got to this by creating, first they created the X-37A, the X-37A is a really badass-looking glider. It doesn't have a propulsion system, and I think a lot of us hear the phrase glider and immediately think of just a paper airplane. That's, you know, that's one of the easiest gliders to make, but this is not that. It's like calling a, a tiger a house cat, honestly, because the, these are... These are no fooling awesome things, and glider technology has come a long way. But Matt, as as you know, we we talked about this in the notes. Uh, I'm at least much more excited about the thing that was launching the glider, which I did not know was a real thing. Oh yeah, this I've seen this thing before. It looks like a glider itself to me. Am I looking at the right thing? You are. It's got the weird uh, series of bubble looking, yes. like round window looking things. It's almost like a What's that kind of uh, that kind of watercraft? A catamaran, like yeah. a triple hold thing. Like on, uh, think of Waterworld, folks. Think, of, yes. <laughs> think of uh, that guy's uh, boat on Waterworld. This is like an airborne version of that. And you can see where it can carry something down below it, and then it would just take it up into the sky and then drop it off wherever you want it to go. I want to clarify something, just because I think maybe the way I said it was not the best. Um, we're talking about all of these uh, institutions that were in charge of the X-37 program, let's say, the development of this tech um, and how it's changed hands a whole bunch of times. You have to remember that the third party, no matter who in the U.S. government is controlling it, the third party building it was always the Phantom Works, right? So, like, it's just who the people in charge, the suits just changed, Right. Yeah, exactly. The work continued. Uh, the work continued. The budget went from different organizations, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what changed. As testing and development continues, uh, we said the Air Force gets involved and they come out and they they kind of do that bender from Futurama thing. They say, we're going to build our own, uh, our own creepy spacecraft. Uh, it's our own variant. It's We're going to call it the X-37B because we're mad creative, and we're going to design this for long, long space treks. And what they meant by long at that time was up to 270 days in a row, which is still a long time. It's longer than most of us listening today have spent in space, so we can't knock it that hard. Uh, But we can also, as we'll see, each successive mission spent more and more time in the ink. and then the other things, now it's classified, and now around 2004, 2006 or so, 
people in, in the public sphere start asking more and more questions, right? It's not just niche aviation nerds or space nerds. Uh, it's mainstream journalists are, are saying, hey, this is a lot of money. What's going on? And uh, this eventually... Uh, this eventually compels the Secretary of the Air Force at the time in 2006 to uh, to make a public statement that sounds really legit until you think about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Secretary said that this program, the X-37B program, would be focused on, quote, risk reduction, experimentation, and operational concept development for reusable space vehicle technologies in support of long-term developmental space objectives. Oh, good. So we've solved it. Yeah. <laughs> long-term <laughs> developmental space objectives. Perfect. Which could be anything that is that, that is not happening this week. Yep. Could be repair all the satellites. That could mean that. Could be. Uh, could be figure out how to launch telephone pole-sized tungsten rods directly into enemy territory. Mm. Could be. It's not going to be a rail dropper. <laughs> not a, rod, a god rod or a rod of god or whatever they call it. A rod of god sounds like the nickname of some guy who plays pool in Florida. I thought it was going to be a wrestler or and or a um, <clears throat> adult film star. Ah, yes. Yeah. Well, it's still real work. Uh, so what we're saying is this description from the secretary sounds great until you realize just how vague every phrase in that sentence actually is. Risk reduction can be defined by any, any number of cleverly spun uh, definitions. Experimentation is a big word that means a lot of things. And Operational concept development for reusable space vehicle technologies. That's probably the most specific and the least sketchy, but it still is a big phrase that has a lot of stuff under the umbrella. So when you hear that and you unpack it and you start asking, what does long-term objective mean here? And you realize this is a little bit of word wizardry, a little bit Weasley. Then you have to ask yourself, what do we actually know about this thing? And to answer that, uh, we're gonna we're gonna pause for a word from our sponsor. Uh, check with our pals at Illumination Global Unlimited and see what we can say on air. Hope it's Boeing. From BBC Radio Four, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand 
Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Okay, we're back. Uh, that was an intense phone call, man. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> They've been calling a lot. It's a, something with my warranty on my vehicle. I, I don't get it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, if only everyone could be as organized and tenacious as the good folks who want you to get a warranty for something, then the world would be a better place. Maybe a little more intense, but a better place. Uh, the thing is, we can blaze through part of this because, you know, even if this ends up being a two-parter, not a lot of it is going to be spent on what we know about the X-37B as a craft, as a project, as a series of missions, because there's not a lot out there. They're serious about the classification, and there's not a Snowden-esque or a Chelsea Manning-esque uh, figure. There's no Julian Assange leaking this stuff out yet. So we can give you like, um, we can give you basically the metadata of these missions. We can tell you how long each of the six missions were. We can tell you the, again, pretty vague statements by authorities about what happens there. Um, you can find a lot of the external specs for the craft online. Like that's, that's not a secret, again, because everybody can see it, which makes it different from some other secret space vehicles. Uh, but you're not going to find a lot about the content of the missions or the content of that payload. That's the that's sort of the holy grail of all the conspiracies surrounding this. Yeah, you can get some information that is super vague, like we were testing this one thing about fuels and and converting energy from the sun into energy we can beam back down to Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. You can get information like that, and it's pretty cool, but mostly 
is a black box in there and it's a relatively tiny black box. Oh yeah. Yeah. We should talk about that. Like the, the, okay. So the whole thing picture the X 37 in your mind, take uh, one of those STS craft and, and uh, just shrink it down, make it all kawaii and cutesy in your head. Maybe some googly eyes. Maybe the best way to start is to think about the, sh- the space shuttle. So let's go back to the Atlantis space shuttle uh, last one that was ever flown or, you know, launched. Its length is a little over 122 feet. What about this thing? Uh, this would be around 29 feet or uh, a little under nine meters. Wow, that's quite a Much bit smaller. smaller. What about mm-hmm. the wingspan? Uh, space shuttle is 78 feet, roughly. Right. And this one has a wingspan of a little less than 15 feet. So smaller by every measure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, we don't have to go through all the specs, but let let me just give you this number. The weight at liftoff for the space shuttle is around 4,521,000 pounds. And on the launch pad, the uh, scrappy little X-37B weighs in at 11,000 pounds. Very much a welterweight in the world of space races. Dude, there's your money right there. <laughs> yeah, you're saving so much already. Because <laughs> you don't have to bring all the all the crap that humans need. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, okay, so this is a comparison for uh, the parents in the crowd. If you've ever oh. been the gu- guardian of a very young child and you have to, you have to go through this series, like this series of checklists whenever you go on a long trip, right, Matt? I, I know you remember those days where it's like, is it like, launching a ship almost do you have to go through and make sure like you got the snacks you got the the definite stuff we need the stuff we so many things ben that you have no idea yet you have no concept yet but you'll get there you're gonna i i have a faith you're gonna get there one day don't put that on me bro <laughs> Uh, so, but but yeah so so you're confirming that comparison holds we can also say uh yeah from any given perspective at this point, this is a good idea, right? Uh, because again, we've removed the most onerous part of any space exploration, which is taking Terrans along for the ride. We also know that this, uh, these two X-37s, if you put them all together, they've done six orbital missions And six doesn't sound a lot until you realize this means they have spent a combined 3,774.4 days in space. That's more than 10 years altogether. Wow. Wow. That's just incredible. You know, the only thing I have it to compare to here is that space shuttle, Ben. And I think about STS-135, the last one that was ever flown, it only lasted from July 8th until July 21st. That's all. Like, seriously, 12-ish days up in space, and that's what you get for $450 million. And that's still amazing. It's amazing, but if you're a large military, you know, let's say an institution or a a combination of all those things or the Pentagon, and you're thinking, well, what's what's the bang for the buck thing we can get right here? Oh, wait, wait, how long have these things been flying? How many years in space? Okay, yeah, we'll take that. (laughs) Exactly. And and the X-37, look, it's 
neat to watch. You know, we're, again, we're a couple space nerds ourselves, so we can separate some of the problems for at least long enough to say, how cool is this? Uh, like a space shuttle, your typical X-37B will take off vertically and it is propelled by a rocket, so it leaves the ground just like an STS. Uh, it can maneuver on its own. That's one of the big wins over a satellite. And eventually, when it lands on Earth, it lands kind of like a conventional plane, much less graceful than a typical plane uh, designed for flying in Earth's atmosphere. But it hits a runway, you know, mm -hmm. it's got the wheels and it lands. And no one, no one is there. I mean, of course, there are hundreds of people on the ground who are freaking out and hoping they don't wreck the cool toy, but they're doing a great job. And it's amazing. Uh, and now I think we've set it up, man. We got to talk about that, that holy grail of this thing, the golden goose, that payload, that little payload area. Yeah, because on the shuttle, you've got like most of the shuttle is a payload area that opens up and your big equipment is inside there and you can want, release it into orbit. That was really one of the main things it did. Uh, the same thing with this X-37B, it's just much smaller in scale. It can open up, and then you've got basically the equivalent of, I, I don't know, I, I guess your standard pickup that's rolling around, your regular-sized uh, pickup truck. You can open up, you've got that, and you can launch. You know, satellites come in a lot of sizes. Some of them are very, very small, so you could fit a number of them in there if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, get it up there. Uh, basically, you're taking a pickup truck's worth of stuff between 150 to 500 miles above earth. It's no small feat. Uh, even though it does sound weird to talk about all this money, all this research, and to tell you it is essentially to get about a truck's worth of stuff off the planet. Uh, but did it six times, you know, for years at a time, pretty cool. We can also confirm two official purposes of the project. These are the only official purposes that have been stated. Developing reusable technology, right? That's huge. Every private or public entity that is exploring space today is going hard in the paint on making reusable stuff because early space launches were so incredibly wasteful. Uh, and then their second thing is we want to be able to operate our experiments and we want to return those experiments to Earth so that we're not just reliant on whatever remote surveillance or communication we have with mm -hmm. the craft. I almost called it the entity. So oh. I just rewatched Event Horizon again. Mm -hmm. Every time we talk about this thing, I'm like straight to Event Horizon, uh, sometimes Alien, sometimes the Alien franchise. Yeah. What if it catches something up there in its cargo bay? It's just hanging out. Love it. Love Comes it. Back. Let's spice things up, man. Uh, maybe not everything is terrible. Maybe it's a cool, maybe it's like a virus that does something good for the planet. You oh, know? like a real Furby? Like a real Furby. <laughs> just so. Just so. Or maybe it's maybe it's something that is just shockingly irrelevant, right? Something mm, like a lands, Lorax. A Lorax shock. That's very relevant. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but, but it like, <laughs> what's it going to do? Just tell people? <laughs> tell people that everything's wrong? <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine the um, the corporate-funded oppositional media to that? Like, <laughs> he claims to speak from the for the trees. Then why is he from space? 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And then like a photo of him, uh, a photo of him at Cape Canaveral, all of a sudden goes to black and white and the music shifts down. And then it does that grainy close up. Can you imagine the Lorax with like TMZ after him? <laughs> oh, God. The Lorax has never publicly denied allegations <laughs> that he's taking non-consensual pictures of, of cheetah feet or something. God. You know? All right. It's sorry so, about this. Uh, no, no, no. We're keeping it in. We're keeping it in. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. That kind of speculation, as much fun as we're having with it, only continues because we don't know what's in the space truck, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Air Force describes these things. So you set this up so perfectly when you said, you know, for every mission, you can typically find a vague description, what they would call a high-level description of what they're doing. And from per them, it's always testing stuff. Let's test flight systems. Let's let's see how well our insulation and thermal protection works. Things like that. You know, the stuff you would expect and the stuff that is, you know, scientifically fascinating, but Narrative-wise, it's a turnoff for a lot of people who think there's something more to the story. Oh, for sure. Well, do you want to talk about what we, I don't know, what people think might be happening up there? Oh, man, absolutely. Because that's the rest of this episode (sighs) that might be a series. What we know is dwarfed by what we don't know here. And that goes for everybody who's not read on to some aspect of this classified project. The vast majority of the project's activities are secret. For several years, uh, Matt, Noel, Mission Control, Doc Holliday, and I, and, and, and those of us listening at home have been asking the same questions. And tons of journalists have been asking these questions. Scientists, engineers, the leaders of other countries are freaking out about this space truck. And they're saying, what the hell is that thing actually doing out there in the ink? Yeah, hey, rightly so. Rightly so. It's, it's a very reasonable question. But here's where it gets crazy. What do you think? Should we start with... Uh, the, maybe one of the original reasons satellites were so enticing to governments across the planet, because you can spy with them. Ah, yes. A spy in the sky. We mentioned this in earlier episodes, as well as a recent strange news segment. A lot of the speculation around this argues that X-37B is kind of, a, is definitely a testing ground for reusable tech, But it's more importantly a testing ground for a new era of surveillance and spy tech. Not the cool toys from like the 80s or 90s, but actual spy tech. Better sensors, right? Yeah. Um, Better cameras, right? Better uh, telemetry and and SIG and interception, that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, think about it. If you've got new tech... That you want to send up there, but you, you know, you've got a budget, a fairly hefty budget, but it's not insane. And you want to make maybe a smaller version of the big thing you want to create, or you want to test out your tiny optics thing, whatever it is, whatever tech you've got, send it up on one of these guys. And you can, you could have a full year long test or longer if you want to see how well your new stuff does when it's just orbiting around for a while. That's that could be invaluable. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the most mysterious truck bed in in the galaxy, right? In the universe right now. Uh 
And I, I know maybe I'm leaning a little too hard into the idea of a truck bed, but it really is about that size. And that means that outside of a few a few confirmed experiments, like the idea of uh, converting solar energy or seeing how seeds grow, right, in space, uh, we can't say much else. We can say we know that there are ni- 99%, I'll say, n- we're 99% certain there are no humans in that, uh, in that cargo bay. Like, imagine spending two years in the back of a pickup truck. Yeah, no, nah, that's a lot of, there's like just a line of soylent green that goes in to like in one end and then recycles. I don't know how that would work. I don't think you can do that. Uh, It's a space coffin. Yeah. But if so when you're thinking about this craft and spy technology, you have to imagine it could be spying on the ground, right? It could also be spying on the other things that are orbiting around up there. So imagine if you parked this thing within the vicinity of another satellite that, let's say, a rival country owns and operates. Uh, They would probably see the X-37B saddle up next to it and be like, just hanging out around Oman. Everything's fine. We're cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they would notice, but again, it. I guess you could prove somehow uh, if you did some kind of forensics, like network forensics on the machine itself that's in the sky. I just don't know how you'd be able to prove it that easily if you if the X thirty seven B was like striding up next to one of these things and hacking into it. Let's say, yeah, you would. You the burden of proof would be higher, but it would be enough for folks who felt like they were being attacked or spied upon to react swiftly. You know what you would do? This is what you would do, Ben. It's brilliant. If you really wanted to do that action, you would, you'd take the original concept of putting the X-37B inside the big shuttle it would just be a nesting doll situation where now you've got the smaller X-37B, but inside its cargo bay is an even tinier version of it. And you can then have the X-37B, you know, be in an operational location at all times. And the little one could leave and go do its spying wherever you wanted it to do. And you could always say as of the government, no, the X-37B was way over here uh, above the UK. Ah, <laughs> yeah, divide and conquer. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and then you would, then it would just be down to the diplomats to earn their check, right? <laughs> exactly. The great diplomats, the great PR firms of geopolitics. But I mean, that's honestly, that's not a bad idea. And it sounds like maybe we're thinking a little bit out of the box or out of the truck bed here. But we assure you, we're just spitballing and our conversations are nowhere near as strange as the real conversations that have happened with billions of dollars on the table and just some jabroni taking a sharpie on the whiteboard and and basically drawing a space cartoon and saying what if we tried this and people are seriously considering it i mean do check out folks please do check out our episodes on just all the Paul beat me here, please. All the weird shit that the U.S. government specifically has poured millions of dollars into, right? <laughs> they saw a cat and they were like, maybe it could spy on folks. I don't know. <laughs> they did. 
did. Oh, I want to be, I want to be the weird guy that strolls into skunk works or phantom works or whatever they call it these days at Boeing. It's just like, guys, but what if you put an even smaller one in it? (laughs) (laughs) A smaller cat. This man's a genius. (laughs) I know I I want that's what we want to be. We want to be the idea guys for DARPA, the idea guys uh in those in those rooms with the high muckety mucks. I want to be able to to uh make unreasonable requests that I don't necessarily have to back up because it's all R and D. I want to walk in and be like uh I need four thousand toes <laughs> by Thursday. And I want the only question to be like well, what kind of toes? Human toes or um, any toes? I don't have time to break this down for you. National security. Just say like, it's like tagging base. Just say national security and, and run away and wait for the toes. Oh, there's so many pictures in my head about toes right now. Just like. Yeah, sorry. No, with the, with the cheetah feet thing, it's, it's too much. That's a, it's no, no. Elbows. It doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> you could go in and say, I need every model T that still runs and I need it by Friday and I don't have time for your insipid questions. <laughs> Jeez, dude, you're going to be, the, it, you're going to be the best, uh, almost evil billionaire, you know, like yeah, right on the edge, just like not sure what he's doing with all those model T's. He's doing something. <laughs> well, no, I think, I, I, I think we would need to move as a unit. Because then we can have each other's backs. You ask for something crazy, and then they'll be like, did Ben Greenlight this? And then you'll say, absolutely. And I'll do the same thing when they say, did Matt Greenlight this? And I'll say, absolutely. He texted me earlier. He was like, we need all the dirigibles. (laughs) Oh, John Hodge would be so upset. Oh, yeah. No, we got to keep one for the Hodge, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is apparently his nickname. But look, folks, this is going to have to be a two-part episode for us. We have only scratched the surface. We did need to give you the history and the development as far as is known in the public sphere. Uh, And we gave you really an overview of the publicly available knowledge about X-37B. But we only got to one of the theories, and it's by far the most tame theory. So please tune in for our next episode where we return to Space Ghost Part 2, the X-37B. I don't know why I called it Space Ghost. It kind of is. Well, it sort of is. It's on a spiritual journey, you know? Spiritual journeys last for a while, sometimes years, sometimes a lifetime. Maybe the X-37B is just on a real long spiritual journey. And maybe, you know, now that I think about it, that is a great point, Matt, because uh, could you say that an object or an entity remotely controlled or steered is possessed? Like, what's the difference there other than the religious connotations? Whoa, man. I'm going to I'm gonna have to ask whatever's <laughs> animating this avatar. Uh, we'll, we'll see what they come back with. And in the meantime, we want to hear your thoughts. Are you or have you ever been affiliated with the X-37B with Boeing and Phantom Works or something like it, like Lockheed Skunk Works? What can you tell us about it? You know, I, without violating your NDAs or your personal safety, uh, just a peek behind our proverbial curtain here, folks. We got a lot of responses on our series for uh, 
security clearances and federal classification, we we hit a nerve in a good way. We want to thank everybody who took the time to write in. We also uh, we also just have to say you'd be surprised by how many people end up touching projects like these just because of the, the magnitude. So let us know. We try to be easy to find online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you don't like those because you listen to our episodes on big data and surveillance, we got your back. There are a couple other ways to contact us. Oh, yes. There are so many. The first one is to contact us fourth dimensionally through the book. Holidays are here. It is time. You should get one. Get a couple. Uh, buy some for your for your friends and family. Spread the stuff they don't want you to know. Everybody, sure. will, everybody yeah. will like it. Spread it like a Lorax virus, you know? Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Especially if you like this episode on the kind of government, you know, projects and things like that. That's really what the book focuses on. So if you like this episode, definitely check the book and audiobook out. Oh, yeah, yeah. The audiobook uh, slaps as well, or at least we really enjoy that experience. Uh, you can also... Uh, if this isn't a bridge too far, uh, you can also always just drop us a line if you happen to be in Atlanta, in our hometown haunt. Uh, and who knows, we might be able to like grab coffee or something like that. I don't know, Matt. What do you think? Is that too far? No, Opening I think it's too much of a door. I think let's do it. Uh, ben, who's your friend? You, you have a friend who came to the book event who makes custom t-shirts and hats and things like that oh harold yeah harold. yeah harold, yeah he's awesome he made a post with a i think it was a design for the local the other day where it said underneath the design that was created it said at least we never served seltzer seltzer water <laughs> no I, I like a seltzer an alcoholic seltzer or whatever right right great. right <laughs> like I, I can't even remember how many hard seltzers there are, uh, but I, I assume there are a lot. Uh, maybe, I don't know, are there more satellites in the sky or more seltzer brands? Probably still more satellites. Yep. There's surely surely you can't do the idea of seltzer more than 4,000 times. <laughs> well... Okay, well, if you work in the seltzer biz uh, and you, you want to go off record, why not uh, Why not give us a call? Uh, Matt, you especially, uh, me, maybe 10%, but Matt does 90% of the work listening to these phone calls. We get these amazing messages. We text each other about them. And the only uh, pro tip that I would give before we tell you our phone number is is that be careful because sometimes the abyss calls back. Yeah, every once in a while I spoke to some wonderful people uh, over the Thanksgiving break there. Uh, lots and lots of people. Uh, specifically one person who's having, I think right around now, when this episode comes out, having an anniversary. So congratulations uh, to you, sir. And to, oh, I won't say your name. Or I won't say any of their names. Congratulations and happy anniversary. A happy anniversary to you and to everyone uh, celebrating an anniversary, in fact. But to you especially, we're not going to say your name to preserve your anonymity, but we know you're listening. Have a good one. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, you can call one eight three three stdwytk got three minutes, it's a voicemail. Let us know if we can use your name and message on the air. If you don't like voicemails and phones, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.